The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable. And they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steep coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D, coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. So you you listen to comedians in cars uh, getting coffee too? Favorite TV show by far. Okay. Who, what, what are you you're in season 19 then or whatever it is the most recent Wait, season? the one that just came out yeah uh, how far first, first episode is eddie murphy yeah. 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 oh god oh dude i haven't seen that is eddie kill and rogan right or not rogan seth yeah rogan. so seth yes. rogan i think was number two <sighs> it wasn't your I, thing i it was sad because because i'm like on the seth rogan kick right now what i'll do with like podcasts is i'll like type in someone's name that i'm obsessed with like let's say Seth Rogen sure. and just download everything he's ever been on. Okay. And just, I'm weird like that. Like I want to go deep on like one person's like My nuances wife's and stuff. Way, dude. She's deep. I'm like, how do you know all that shit? Anyway, I want to hear more. Go. So I like, I have this great appreciation for Seth Rogen's like, you know, he's you know, genius. Yeah. Genius, weird yeah. mind. And I have this obsession with Jerry Seinfeld's like weird genius mind. So they were together and it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> Actually, I totally hear you. I they were not they were not melding like some like he does with some of those other people. There's two reasons. What do you, think? What do you yeah, oh, what do you yeah. think? This Jerry is Seinfeld juicy. is like a endangered species. <laughs> and he's like a I don't know, like a black panther, right? Yeah. And he only knows how to talk to other endangered species. Seth Rogen is a movie star, even though he's hilarious, he's not a stand up comedian. Yep. That was actually one of the things I loved the most was when he was he finally claimed it. He's all, dude, I came to be a stand-up comedian. And he's like, <laughs> until I walked in and found the people who actually wanted right. to be stand-up Seth comedians. Seth Rogen isn't – he doesn't have that he's loose thing in his mind that like the little – the tick. He doesn't have that tick. Yeah. He's like a little happy. He's a little happy. He's like a little just on the happier yeah. side and a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, I think stand-up comedy is probably one of the hardest things to do ever on earth. Like maybe the hardest occupation – to be a stand-up comedian, to get up there and actually make people laugh, like not a lot of people can do that. Have you seen the Netflix doc Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yes, yeah. it's like, one of my okay. favorite things ever. So stand-up comedians are more like Jiro than they are like movie stars. Okay, in the sense that they're so in tune with their process and they they're, live with this they're one so, thing. Like Jiro is like obsessed with that one slice of tuna he just cut. Right. Nothing else matters. Yeah. Someone can be having like a heart attack down the street. He's just obsessed with this one piece of sushi he just cut. I, yeah. I, that documentary was like one of the most inspiring things to me. We actually showed a clip of that at one of our staff meetings because, you know, we have our coffee shops and coffee is like this beautiful thing. It's this magic that everybody partakes in, but a lot of people take it for granted. And even if you're working behind the counter, some of the things where you, it looks relatively simple, but you need this really intense attention mm -hmm. to detail. 
And it's kind of easy to get lost in the monotony of the routine of like making espresso and steaming right. milk in the same way that you could get lost in the monotony of like, okay, I've just cut a thousand pieces of sushi and I'm going to cut another one. But it's those little details that people can tell, even if they don't know they can tell, it's these intangibles that they have in their experience. Mm -hmm. So we played like this little clip of him talking about his process and yeah. basically like, this is what I'm born to do. Like, and he's live. you're totally right. He's living in the moment. Like he's having this never ending, just fucking peaking experience. It's it's fucking amazing to me. It's I, really cool. I remember we watched that at your house the first time I saw that. I was just chilling all day. Ripping. Chicken skin yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, I was a good time. tingling Back like out of my mind. How was Eddie Murphy? It was great. It was great because him and the best episodes are when Jerry's friends with the person. Yeah. If Jerry doesn't know the person, and God forbid if Jerry doesn't like the person, because there's some episodes where you can just tell Jerry didn't doesn't even like the person. The person just got booked on the show somehow, and Jerry said, okay. Dude, Steve Martin, I felt like he loved Steve oh, Martin. Yeah. And you know what I'm saying? He's like, dude, I don't get this guy at all. Anyway, yeah. keep going. I just uh, thought about it. was great. And it was like so cool. You're like talking about the obsession with coffee. Like what's been really cool the past month doing all the travels for the International Book Tour, seeing the different coffee cultures in all these different countries fascinating yeah. what was it did you do coffee in japan japan so i did so for people who are coming in hot on this one, yeah yeah let's let's do you want to give a little yeah, like let's back up last a little. last let's episode on <laughs> so, alex yeah. You, oh yeah so yeah, alex so came on a few months back if you happen to not listen go back and listen he wrote the third door epic book and then all of a sudden boom he's out touring the world and it's been translated to in how many different languages now? A dozen different languages. That's epic. And you've been gone for how long doing this tour? Uh, the first leg was... So the U.S. book tour went for a year. Right. And then we went on the international book tour. We went on about five weeks. Just got back to the U.S. right now yeah. for a week in the U.S., a couple weeks in Canada, and then we go back to Japan. So how does oh, this work? Okay. So let's say, you, you know, the book was a bestseller in the United States. Mm-hmm crushing it do the book tour does your publisher come back to you and say you're so fucking hot right now we're gonna go <laughs> international or was that the plan all along the well most books most mm -hmm. business books of you know how do i word this of at a certain you know my okay so my publisher I'm sort of like giving the you know inside baseball stuff. You know? Yeah. My publisher is Penguin Random House, which is the largest publisher in the world, and they have a really good foreign rights department. Okay. Really good foreign rights department. One of the reasons I really like them. And what most people don't know is even before the third door came out in America, we had already like sold the rights to Japan and sold the rights to China even before the book even hit stores in America. Really? Um, they just have this whole system set up, which is amazing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons there's a lot of debate right now about, like, you know, the pros and cons of traditional publishing and stuff. For me, my whole dream wasn't just to, like, write a book and make some, like, quick cash. There would have been a lot easier ways than spending seven years, you know, pouring your heart into something. For me, my dream was getting this in the hands of people who, you know, I never would have been able to, you know, communicate or reach. Right. And that's why I'm so grateful for this process right now. And that seems like uh, a pretty big testament to the, the way the book turned out, because if they're booking international deals to publish physical copies of books before there's even a precedent <laughs> set that this book's going to sell at all, they, 
you know, because not all books get that treatment, right? In yeah. the era of there's a ton of people who are doing self-publishing. To go to produce a lot of physical products of things is not necessarily the norm, unless you're talking top of the top. I dude, I appreciate that. I'm not well, trying to toot your horn. I just like it's no toot it, man. I'm like great. I'm like more. I'm psyched on the book. Obviously, we talked Thank about you. that last time. You listen, like Jared said, but also I'm just kind of curious about that publishing industry. So they came to you and they're like, "We think this has the bones to go full blown." So we're going to start booking international rights to this whole thing. Yeah, That's it's sick. been and, and what's been really cool is seeing the. It's just so funny to me, like the cultures. It's it's so obvious in hindsight, but to me, it's like, so this is my first time, you know, this is my first book. I spent seven years working on this, and it's just fascinating the countries that are like, we're in, and like, you know, the, you know, also the dollar amounts they put behind something is sure. sort of like a, sort of a, you know, a nice measurement of how much they actually give a shit, too, which is yeah. cool. And like, Japan and China, like, all in. And it's like such a testament also to like, what those cultures uh, emphasize. Right. Uh, like France was like, eh. <laughs> you know, that was going to be a question. But, what, but do you know what's so funny though? I also like on social media. Right. So yeah, it's just been such a lesson in cultures too. Cause the people buying these rights internationally, I can't believe we're talking about this stuff. No, this, this is, is like what I've been like deep in. You know? I think this shit's interesting. I think, so I think people are going to find it really yeah. interesting. What I, you know, the people who are buying the rights, you have to understand it's not like us, right? It's people probably in their like 60, you know, 50s mm. to 70s who are like senior editors at these big publishing houses in these different countries who are dis- who are trying to determine what's going to sell in their country. Makes sense. So, they probably do have a good pulse on it, but also at the same time like you know, some of the European countries are like, oh, we don't know if like, you know, people will be like obsessed with like, you know, like what my was book is about like uncovering how the most successful people launch their career. Sure. But I will get like on, you know, Instagram, like my DMs are like huge from like people in the UK and people from France and people from Germany. Um, but mm. the older generation in those countries you know, are a bit hesitant about like, you know, American success stories. Right. So it's like really, but then you go to like China, Japan and like the older are like super in on American success stories. Yeah. So that was my question. I was going to say, how do people express, cause you're going to get, you're going to get positive feedback when you go to a, you know, book signing book tour, most likely that's my guess, right? Cause that's yeah, why they bring you there. Yeah. But like, how do these different cultures express that to you? You know, cause that's something that I, you know, you go, Japan typically like right really buttoned up quiet soft potentially is what a picture I picture quiet you know and then but also like super ambitious so yeah so and, like, smart what yeah. is it like to sit down in those places or to like connect with all of those fans how do they express that in these different places you know like what what was a surprise what was, was you amazing. know like because yeah. I would be tripped out yeah. you know there's like are you running a translator with these yeah speeches? right yeah yeah, yeah. the train uh, I also have learned so you know I've been you know, doing, you know, professional, you know, keynote yeah. corporate speaking for about ham. seven years now. Yeah. But I would say like 98% of my keynote speeches the past seven years have all been in the U.S. You know, I've done a few in like India and stuff like that. But, you know, all even when I did international, is always English. This is the first time that I actually purposely did speeches to non-English speakers. Right. Because I wanted to just see like it's sort of like, you know, f- you know, trying out a new sport. That's like tangential, but it's 
not necessarily the same. Yo, it is really different to give a speech to people who don't know English. I'm sure. Get, give us one little nugget. Like, what's something that you've learned? <laughs> like, funny? Dude, there's yeah. been, like, a lot of funny G- moments. Give us a couple <laughs> weird ones. Anytime you, like, are a fish out of water, there's, like, funny moments. Um, there was this one. There was this. There was this one speech. in ch- My first ever speech in China. We did a whole week-long tour. Um with like a bunch of different speeches and it's just cool. The first one was like good, but like the last one was like unbelievably because I was just getting more and more used to the style. The first one we did, um, I learned a very important lesson. I went there. Number one, normally I give like really, you know, long form storytelling Mm. doesn't work if you have a translator. Cause if, if you're like, and I walked into Quincy Jones's house and he looked at me and said, and then you pause for the translator to go, you know, blah, 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 in Chinese. And then you're like, it doesn't, it's sort of like, totally. yeah, it just, it doesn't, I realize how much of a really good story is dependent on that pacing and right. that emotion. Yeah, it's sort of like watching a movie and pausing it every every ten seconds. So the the impact is stripped because you don't have the cadence that you need. To yeah, like, yeah. Thing. it's not stripped, but it's not fully stripped. Yeah, but what does work, what isn't as impacted, is if I'm doing Q and A. Right, which is also one of my mm. favorite parts of you know keynote speaking, anyways. So I did my second half of my speech in that first speech was Q and A, and I realized like, oh, that works much better mm-hmm. if you're because in- there's a frame to it. Got it. They're asking me the question, so that the whole audience is already on board because mm-hmm. they heard the question originally in Chinese. Yeah. So right, I'm like, right, oh, right. so I actually gave them a little bit of the power, you know, by letting them ask the question in their home language. Yep. And I'm almost meeting them. It's like a pingback. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it worked a lot better. Uh-huh. So I was like, ah, oh, so the second speech was like. I just totally scrapped yeah. no more long form story. I'm doing an hour Q and A and it worked magically. See, but that's awesome that you noticed that and made the move, you know, instead of yeah, sticking you, to your guns. Cause I mean, that's, that is smart. And I don't think everybody would do that. And so anyways, I'm just giving you that praise. Thank you, man. You have to, I think the best people will adapt instead of just being like, dude, it's not working, but I'm going to stick to my guns. This is what I planned yeah. for, you know? Jeez. It's you know so painful. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we're talking about keynote speaking and public speaking, but we see that in just the business world in general. You know, people are like, this is what I it's honestly selfish. It's like straight up fucking selfish. Mm. So let's say let's say I'm the keynote speaker guy. I'm like, you know what? Everybody wants to fucking listen to me. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to talk at you, talk at you. However, I want to talk. You're going to hear the story my way. Let's say it's not land. It's not land. I'm like, you know what? Alex is a fucking idiot. I told him the story. I told it to him perfect, and he didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, someone, that metaphor can work in everything. Right. Though. If someone's like a true storyteller, or if someone's yeah. really in love with the business that they're doing, it's it's mostly about meeting people where they're at. And whether you like it or not, all businesses are service based things, right? They're mm-hmm. all guaranteed not to make you the most stoked, but to make other people as happy as possible. Which is basically, you know, you're talking about the mission of your book isn't to make like, I'm not trying to make a bunch of money, cash it out. Like I want to get this information in the hands of people that can use it. Mm, So whatever delivery method is going to make that the most effective, you're willing to pivot to. This is like literally the thesis of my life and I didn't even realize it. This is (laughs) crazy. No, I'm serious. This is like, I'm having like a, like a therapy epiphany right now. Like that's. We've had friends. 
that have opened up, yeah. you know, coffee shops to tie it back to our industry who have one idea of how coffee needs to work sure. or one idea of my way or the highway, what's going to happen. Right. And we've seen those people go into business and go out of business because they're unwilling to budge and unwilling to recognize that like, it, it's not all about them. You know, you're trying to bring joy into someone else's life and y- you will have more fun if you make it about other people anyway. You My know what I mean? Walt Disney. Dude. Being, yeah. I mean, being the cool guy gets old after a while and people are going to, it's going to wear on you. It's going to wear on other people around you, but lifting other people up. I don't think that shit ever gets old. Yeah. And you know, like there's definitely a value to like, fuck you art. And what I mean by that is like when someone makes something literally for no one else other than that's what the art's supposed to be. I actually have a ton of value for that. If you're trying to make something sustainable, though, that helps other people, you need to listen to the people you're trying to help. Exactly. 100%. And a coffee shop helps other people. Of course, people want great tasting coffee that feels good, tastes good, is good. That's a huge service to people. So you have to listen to them as part of the process. For sure. You have I, to listen to the experience. You have to listen to all that. I mean, that's why I said Walt Disney. If people are walking out of your coffee shop miserable. No chance. You need to listen. Yeah. To yeah. why they're, you know. And if people are walking out of your keynote, like bummed, you're like, man, I need to do something different to make right. them make them stoked. I agree with you on the on the fuck you are. I love that stuff. There's a certain place for oh, it. Oh, I love it too. But I think yeah. people get their inspiration fucked up, which is they'll see one or two examples of people who are doing really well well with stuff like that and think oh that's how it is i'm gonna do it and they're failing to realize that the exception doesn't prove the rule and some of those things are probably best left as hobbies or things that you dabble in and might not be leveraged to provide you with like a regular income if you're trying to make it a business or if you're trying to scale it or like you said make it make it sustainable so well, not everyone's yeah. a fuck oh. you artist i mean that's the thing well like, that's what i'm saying it's yeah. like the people that do that the best are there's made to not do that very many of <laughs> yeah. them and you're probably not as good as they're they one are. percenters they're yeah. jerry seinfeld in a different like line, part of right? me wishes like, but, but even seinfeld listens every night to the audience yeah no every that's, night you're totally right you know? well because then he wants to go far right it's like you can go fast with the fuck you are and you get somewhere really sick but you want to go far, you go together, you bring more people in, which is what you're doing and what we're trying to do in our business, too. And you go farther, you get more people buying in and believing what you're doing. I, yeah, and I you love, feed each other. Yeah, I Everybody love what you said other. about the, you know, listening and adapting. Yeah, I mean, it's so that's been the whole journey, man. It's like key. I mean, it's one of the things that we try to teach to the people that work for us. And because that's I think that's maybe one thing that can give you just like ridiculous amounts of. I don't, I don't want to say success because success is such a weird world, but like possibility, you know, if you're open yeah, yeah. to manipulating the way you think a little bit and, and really seeing what, what people are responding to, you probably have more potential to do more fun, weird things. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just, just an idea. It, and it, maybe it goes against the grain of the, such a heavy trend. Oh, I don't know. Everyone's got social media, right? What what does everybody post about on social media? Like most people just post about themselves. Like I got this thing. I got that thing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And I think it gives people like this false, not sense of important because people are important, Mm -hmm. but it it almost puts the perspective on the wrong thing. I think it's like silently breeding this weird selfishness that people are unaware of. And it's like, I've been in funks where I've only cared about those things. And it is not super good. So before we started this business, when we left the place that we were all working at, 
I started another business with another guy, and that was kind of like our attitude. We were like, we're doing our own thing. Fuck everybody. We're smarter than everybody, and like everyone's an asshole. And <clears throat> I was bummed, angry, and I like I didn't even know it. I had no idea. Yeah. I don't remember. We were having a conversation, and I was saying this, that, and the other, and you're like, yeah, dude, it sounds like you've just been hurt a lot for a long time and like don't know how to be open. And I was like, oh, mm. fuck. He's <laughs> That's a good right. friend. I think he's that's right. And I was like, damn, that's super weird. And then, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was a very painful moment. Roadhouse. <laughs> Jared Roadhouse. Right in the face. <laughs> I think I need a hug. I just think the whole thing is about seeing the opportunities to learn and adapt and be a better version of yourself. So like all, you know, in the simplest terms of what I was saying to begin with is it's like your keynotes work in the States and they probably work in even some of the places that you went on this tour, right? Maybe the UK, they land right places, but you also are like, okay, I can still be better if I do and connect what I'm really trying to do. My heart in this is really try to connect more people with my story and this passion and get them to believe. And so you took essentially feedback on the fly, which is something if you read the book, people, you'll see that this guy is actually pretty genius at doing you process fucking fast. And that, is a talent that is a small talent in the world that a lot of people don't have that. And if you're able to do that, like you are, you're able to bring people in quicker. And I think that that's just like your opportunity to see growth and the ability to do so like on the fly. And instead of shying away from it, from it, you step into it. And then lo and behold, it seems to have been working, which is really rad. Thank you, man. It's interesting. I, it's something I think about a lot. I don't think I've ever talked about this out loud to anyone, not even to my friends of like, Something that I've always assumed everyone does, but I'm starting to realize maybe it's a, I never thought of it as a skill because I always thought it's so elementary. It's just cause and effect. That's like, if I had to boil down the very kind For compliment sure. you just gave me is cause and effect of like, I'll even tell you, you know, if we go back to the third door, I'd be in meetings with people telling them like one aspect of the book and see like their eyes sort of dart. And then I would like tell them about the price is right. And their eyes would open up. I was like, okay, cool. All right. So I'm, ba- I'm back in the, I'm back in the meeting. Cool. Great. That's a skill dude. And like it was to me, I guess it's like a nuanced cause and effect, which is I'm talking about, let's say, Oh, I can't wait to write this chapter on Bill Gates and their eyes are sort of wandering. And then I'm like, wait, did I tell you how I, you know, funded the book? Right. And you know, they look a little closer and then I tell them, you know, how I, you know, pulled the all-nighter, mm-hmm. hacked the prices right, won a sailboat, sold the sailboat, and that's how I funded the book. And all of a sudden, they're in. And I was like, oh. And again, it's not like I was like, oh, this is for sure how to do it forever. I was like, okay, with this person, it worked. And then right. I remember something that changed me forever. Oh, I've never talked about this. It was like, <laughs> changed me forever. One person who I really looked up to, uh, I still admire him a lot, but when I was younger, like, huge, huge uh, inspiration for me was Tim Ferriss, the author of The 4-Hour mm-hmm. Workweek. Mm-hmm. And, you know, definitely one of the people who inspired me to to write this book. And when I was so when I was 18, I interviewed Tim in my book, but, you know, it was just a one off interview for, you know, the third door. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much of a relationship after that, which is, of course, understandable. And then when I was 19, I you guys remember the chapter in the book where I went to Utah to Eden. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, Tim Ferriss was at that weekend. And right. uh, one of the parts that isn't talked about in the book is that I actually uh, sat next to, there's like these long tables. I sat next to Tim one of the nights for dinner. 
and there wasn't much conversation between me and him. You know, I'm sure he had like other people he wanted to talk to. And then I started telling the person next to him the Price is Right story. And that person sort of like nudged him. I was like, you got to hear this. And I told like the full like 30 minute version of the story. And all of a sudden, someone who I thought, and you have to understand I was 19. Someone who I thought there's nothing in my life that he could possibly be interested in. Like seeing his eyes, this is like, we were talking about this publicly, but whatever, fuck it. Fuck like, it. Do it. Seeing his eyes light up. Right. Um, the way that anybody else's eyes light up humanized him, actually, to me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, because I used to think like, oh, I guess just lack of a better word, just like regular people liked my stories. And then seeing someone who I admired so greatly also have a same humanistic response. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Oh, even though like I look up to Tim a lot and he's, you know, accomplished a lot in my field, he still has the same human instincts as everyone else. Yeah. So something works. It's sort of like, you know, great coffee. It's not like just because Bill Gates is super rich, like he has a different taste in good what makes good coffee. You know, if yeah. you if you can we're human beings. If you can hit the right taste buds with coffee, if you can hit the right emotional notes with a story, yeah. it works with everyone. It's how, true. How aware are you of power dynamics now in where you're at so let's say let's rewind to what an interesting question 18 or 19 year old alex and let's say you're 19 you're eating for the first time you're like the new guy there right not not only the new guy this is a group of like highly successful people in their 30s 40s and 50s right like young too and i am just finished my sophomore year of college on summer break (laughs) like so it is fish out of water extremely and and like Dorothy is, you know, <laughs> not in Kansas anymore. Like, holy shit. And there's all these people, you know, Tim being one of them, that you look up to. And they're almost, like you said, before that moment where he got involved in your story, and that was the moment that kind of humanized him to you, it's almost like you look up to these people as they're some sort of god or different. They're different kinds I, I, of I, people. I, I used or, to think they were a different, mm-hmm. different breed. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not like these people. Now take that seven years later, a lot of people would look at you in that same sense. So we're like, you've got, so, you've got a bestseller. Yeah. You're the guy that I see. Like, you know, every time I check on Instagram, he's on some weird, different, crazy country talking to all these people making a living. You know, you're a personality. Do you find that people address you, you now different than they did 19 year old Alex, man, this is such a good question. Um, because it's something that I want to give more thought to because I think I actually think it's a very uh, – it's important. And why it's important, I don't think people would get, obviously. So to me, why it's important is I – you know, the third door, right, covers, you know, five, seven years of this journey. And, you know, you guys have read the book. There's a arc to it, right? right. I sort of start off with, like, Bill Gates being my holy grail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously there's a big transformation there totally. after, you know, I sat down and interviewed him and everyone else. So to me now, like current Alex today, um, I definitely see the humanity. And I, it's almost even like hard for me to remember how I used to see things, but I can, I can like go back and remember. And if anything, I actually, I would say even more than an average person really idolize these people. Look, look how much I, you know, kill myself to try to learn from them. Right. Right. Um, What's interesting for me, though, is because I was able to I'll tell you, this is like so funny and awkward, but whatever. Fuck it. (laughs) Like, I remember being in Bill Gates's office and seeing his 
Oh my god, this is this makes me sound like an idiot. But like, well, you're 19, bro. This is gonna be yeah. great. We're all idiots when yeah. we're 19, theoretically. Yeah. Dude, I was older. I was 20. <laughs> oh, I big <laughs> bro. When I was 25, I wore slippers to work. Okay, right. like uh, you people learn it. You're, you're literal. Ahead. So you're still ahead of the game. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. I was I was 20 years old. You know, it took me like a little more than two years to finally sit down with Bill Gates to you know this big interview that I always dreamed of. And I remember sitting there, and his socks, uh, you know, he was wearing like slacks and loafers and you know dress socks. His socks like bunched down low, to the point where like you know you can see his you leg. See low ankle. Yeah. You see low ankle. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, What's up with this low ankle and dog? This makes me sound so weird and creepy, but whatever. I don't give a shit. Like, when you watch, you've never noticed probably, but if you're watching like the Oprah Winfrey Show or CNN, you never see any fucking low ankle. Oh no chance. Those people, it almost in your mind they don't. They don't have like uh, sloppy wardrobe. Mm. I have a sloppy wardrobe every day, you know, because I'm a human being. Like when I look in the mirror, I have low angle all the time. I'm pulling up my socks like, you know, I'm like straightening out my shirt because it's all wrinkle. But like when you look at, you know, these quote, you know, these people who we only see them via the most polished media on earth. Right. Subconsciously, especially when you're young especially when you're very impressionable, mm. that's who they are. Perfect. Yep. And I, I know this is so silly and so small, but there's something about seeing just like his ankle. Well, it was like it just almost like burst a little bubble of like everything about him being perfect. And it actually humanized him in the moment for me. Was that good for you or bad for you? You think? No, it was great. It was good for you. So it helped you. It was great. Okay. It, uh, in a weird, it helped chip the because pe- I put him on such a big pedestal. Yeah. In a weird way, that helped with the pedestal stuff. Right. So you're seeing these little details. I mean, even I, just him drinking a diet coke out of a can. Right. Was another big thing too. Yeah. No I know ice, this no sounds. This sounds so. Any like mature adult listening to this right now is gonna like roll their no, eyes. But to me, no. at 20 years old, it was a big deal. It's continuity of story. Right? I don't think it sounds weird at all. I yeah. mean, I think we create stories about everybody that we see something that's been for me you know going back to like your original question of like being aware of it even you know now that i'm on book tour right that's so fucked i was like bringing it back to me bro <laughs> no well the i want to know about you going, i'm going curious about, but yeah. for real, going back to your question it's it's actually you'd be surprised it's a challenge and what's challenging is i know dude i know better than anybody else on earth all the fucked up shit that can go in my head and how hum- how human I am, and the pain, and the um, the confusion, and the you know fi- you know the fish out of water feelings, I know better than anyone. Right. If anything, probably I'm the only one who knows the extent of it. So for me, I'm very human to myself. Like I don't walk out onto that stage feeling like you know a superhero. Um, but it's important for me because I have a lot of. I think it's uh, going back to Jiro too, just from mm-hmm. the beginning that we talked about. I've, I love people who respect their profession and give, give it the care that it deserves. I just, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to treat my profession the same way. And I love my job. I love, I didn't call it a job. It's almost a calling. And if I meet someone, especially someone on the younger side, at a book tour event, you know, 
especially you know in the U.S. now that the book's been out for a year now, you know there's people who have read sure. the book, and I have to remind myself consciously because it doesn't come naturally to me that their mindset may be similar to where mine was when mm-hmm. I first let's say met Tim Ferriss when I was 18 and crouching in a bathroom, you know, to talk to him for the first time, yeah. and. I need to ground myself in their reality, not my, if I'm in my reality of like my fucking insecurity or my, whatever I'm going through that day, who knows what I'm feeling that day. And I just talk to that, you know, person as I, as I would my buddy. Sure. Uh, it's not respecting how they're feeling. Mm. Um, and normally at book signings too, they want to share something for sure. Whether it's how, how the book made them feel a, a struggle. I get, I get a lot of people talking about whether it's uh, struggles that they're facing in their business. Um, I get a lot of people talking about um, whether it's deaths in the family uh, or, you know, family challenges. Um, and I have to remind myself, they took time to come all the way I came here because this is like a gig on my calendar. They chose to come mm-hmm. over a million things that they probably had to do. Right. Um, so talking to them, reminding, almost reminding myself to honor that moment. Yeah. Uh, it goes back to what you said in the beginning, to the cu- you know the customer in the coffee shop, right. caring about their experience. And to me, I didn't write this book for myself. I wrote it for them. And also when you're, cause there's, so there's a certain number of people who would listen to that and be like, you know what, Alex, it sounds like you're not really being authentic with how you feel to those people. I would say that you're saying I am really attracted to people who honor their profession. That moment's not for me. No, that's it, what it is for me. For after sure. the moment, after, after the, the moment, during the moment, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. That's, it's not my moment. It's their moment. And I'm here to give them their moment. Yes. Right. And that's the and difference between being a professional and being like an like an amateur about something. And you're taking it seriously because going back to the idea. Oh my god, I'm the, very passionate about this. Yeah. The, the idea uh, of yeah. a power of a power dynamic. You you have the power in that situation, right? You are, for lack of a better term, the superstar. People are looking up to you. They want to learn from you. They want to experience. Uh, maybe they want to talk to you. They want. They just want to take something home. They want to be a part of of what you're what you're doing so they're looking up to you in the same way as the you know 19 year old alex looked up to tim and if you're if you're leveraged in a power dynamic you really have to i wish it didn't even exist right right? but it does it totally does i wish it didn't exist i wish it didn't exist too i wish i could just jam out with everyone and casually kick our feet up right Um, i mean it it, it creates a little you're walking into our society creates these it creates it creates a little stress and it's and it's just getting into that other person's headspace. And, and if you were just like, you know what? I'm just going to do me. That's that's like completely unprofessional. Right. And you wouldn't be living up to a standard where you're like, you know, going back to Jiro and all these people. I love people who like really get into what they do. And you're looking at it as a service. And we see the same things, too. Like there are days when I wake up and think, man, I wish I could just I wish I could just go to my own coffee shop. And not talk to anybody. Like, I don't want to talk to anybody right now. Mm. I want to mm-hmm. be one of the things that, like, our coffee shops 
are amazing. But if you're a coffee shop owner, one thing that you surrender is the ability to just chill at your coffee shop. And it's kind of a weird feeling. But if you step back and do the fucking math, you realize that there are some sacrifices that are actually worth making. You're so lucky to even be in that position. And it's like, that's pretty amazing that that is one of my problems. And also... your coffee shop's not really about you. Like, right. Like if my coffee shop is just about me and what I want to do. And like, that's my dream to come in the coffee shop and have nobody talk to me. And I just want to fucking relax one day. See out there. Like the, the whole business doesn't work, you know, and all the people that yeah. work for you, they're not yeah. getting the most out of you either. And like, you're the owner, you're in a position of power and that's just being open and honest about it because everybody that works for us, I really enjoy talking to them when I come in, like I think there's a ton of interesting people and the world is full of people with really interesting, weird, quirky stories. And I like to hear about them, but I'd be lying. if I said sometimes I just don't want to talk to anybody, but you you can't really do that. Jerry Seinfeld has this thing where he says, um, someone asked him, you know, what if you're going up to do a set and you're not in the mood? And he goes, would you ever ask a question like that to a construction worker? Right. Seth Godin said the same thing about a plumber. If you've heard him say that, it's like Jerry's like, doesn't matter if the construction workers having a bad day and just got in a fight with his wife or his whatever, or she got in a fight with her husband or whatever, right. or her wife, whatever. They'd go and do the job the best they can. And because you're a, you know, quote unquote artist, you think all of a sudden, like you're out, you know, you can just be like, nah. I'm gonna I'm gonna perform well when I feel in the mood. Yeah, no. It doesn't look, you can do that, but just don't be don't be bitter when the world doesn't respond, you know. Yeah, you're, you're not you gonna get a lot to. done. And you know, another thing Seinfeld talks about too, just on the topic of, you know, human interaction, you talked about, you know, mm-hmm. people coming up and talking to you at your coffee shop and stuff. You know, obviously Jerry Seinfeld gets, um, you know, stopped on the street probably a hundred times a day. Can't even imagine. And someone asked him, they're like, why do you always like smile and say hi? And he goes, all I have to do is smile and I made their day. Yeah. And in your coffee shop, like whether it's a customer or even an employee who like wants to ask you a question, all you have to do is respond kindly and they walk away and go home to their family and be like, man. He's such a good guy. Like that that's the and all you had to do is just put your ego aside and just respond with kindness. It's pretty funny because it's so easy how quickly people forget things in the sense of I talk to other business owners who are really pissed about this kind of stuff. Like, fuck, I can't do anything. Everyone's fucking trying to talk to me and all this stuff. And I'm like, do you remember what it was like before you started this business and why you started this business? Because you spent every day of your in existence doing a job that you absolutely hated all the time. And that, that was why you had to get out of there. And now like, Oh my God, you have to say hi to like 15 people. It's like, do you remember that? And I, one of the things that is fucked up about our industry is I think the people who are owning a lot of these businesses have literally forgotten what it feels like to be 18, 19, 20. You you know what I mean? It's like, well, it's who, whoever it is. I mean, honestly, it's a lot of the independent coffee shops do are like worse off. But it's like, do you remember what it feels like to to be that age, have nobody listen to you, like 
go to work for someone who doesn't give a shit. You come into a culture that's super not healthy. Like, how do you not remember that? I remember that every day. Every time I go into a coffee shop, I remember that. I wonder about, I'm just thinking about your confidence level from keynote starts to keynotes now. Like, how has that been? Have you, have you felt like you've grown in your confidence level of delivery? You know, like oh, I can uh, imagine there's, and then I have a, a follow up to that, but you know, like, how's that been that process of like first keynote to the States, you know, you're traveling and touring and now I, I imagine you're probably pretty confident yet. Then you go to a whole new world slash countries. And what's that like? What, what's happening? How's that been? Definitely, you know, if you zoom out macro, right? I, I think if you do anything, you know, thousands of times, you feel, uh, I wouldn't even say confident is the word as much as comfortable. Yeah, okay. Uh, how, well, th there's also, I would say confidence falls under that category too. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, I remember the first, you know, keynote I gave, I was, the first, the first keynote I gave about the third door was within the first year of even writing it. Okay. Um, and that was, I think I was, I had just turned 19. Mm -hmm. I had just turned 19. And what's so funny is, yeah, I didn't have much confidence. But I was willing to try. Mm -hmm. And it went okay. But what's funny, like I remember, I won't like name the event because it's like a well-known entity but it was like a small local tech kind of thing it was like a cool audience you know maybe like 50 100 obviously it wasn't paid it was like my first yeah. gig you know and what's fascinating is the amount that i cared about really getting that right i still have that except just the venues are much different mm -hmm. okay so it's like to me the way i see it it's almost like weightlifting like when you're just starting out weightlifting, five pounds or 10 pounds might be a lot for you. Mm -hmm. And I just have so much respect for someone who puts in the work and really crushes that, you know, the 10 pound, you know, dumbbell set with the same amount of care that someone who's been doing it for five to 10 years is crushing that, you know, 50 pound dumbbell set. Mm -hmm. Do you, when you, so it's like almost like the same amount of so like, you're working carry. just as hard, but it's like the same amount of like, I give a shit. Yeah. Like yeah. I have a, I have a big event in, in Canada in a few days. And like, I really give a shit about this event. Like I re it's, it's like the most important thing for me this week. Mm -hmm. It just, I guess it's almost like the, the dumbbell weight has changed. Do you get the but butterflies the amount still? Or does that, has that gone? Mm. They've changed. Yeah. Um, it used to be butterflies of the unknown of what is it going to be like on the stage. I sort of know now, like I can do, you know, whether it's speeches to 50 people or mm -hmm. to 5,000 people, I sort of know what that experience is like to a degree. Every audience is different. Every stage is different, but to a degree at this point now, I know what it feels like. Um, but still, like, I was in Chicago a couple of days ago doing a keynote, and, like, 10 minutes before that, like, if someone comes, it's, you're constantly fighting being in the zone. Mm -hmm. it, it's, I, I treat it very much like an athletic match. Sure. 
Um, Flow if you, state. Yeah, if you look at any athlete, you know, before they, you know, swimmers are a great example, swimmers and right. boxers, because it's, a, yeah, it's very much a solo activity. Mm-hmm. In keynote speaking, even though you're on that stage with the audience, you're not just like doing something solo, you're on that stage by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel much more similar to a swimmer and boxer than I do like a basketball team. Because mm-hmm. a basketball team, you want that group energy elevating. When you're swimming or you're boxing, you want the voice in your head to be the voice of the person who's going to crush it in that pool, in that ring, or on that stage. Because, mm. you know, there's a lot of different voices. The voice of like, oh, shit, like I forgot to call mom back today. She called me this morning. I forgot to call her back. You, you have to respectfully put that voice to the side mm-hmm. and go in there, um, especially if it's a live event, too. No, particularly. Sure. Yeah, because you have a lot of variables going on. If dude, if I'm if I'm hitting a keynote eight o'clock in the morning, it is super different than hitting a keynote at five p.m. after they just went through ten hours of speeches. Yeah, energy change for sure. I, my speech is different. That was gonna ask. The that. words mm-hmm. might be similar, but the speech is super different, mm-hmm. man. Super different. So there's how, a do you, t- how do you change? Oh my it? god, this is fun to just like, talk about my obsession. How would you? That's, how that's, would you tweak yeah. at eight a.m. like first thing in the morning versus five p.m. after people have been sitting all day? Uh, a big thing. I read this book once called like uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Something yeah. like you know, businessy whatever. And there was one thing in that book that I was like, ah, oh, that was good, because I had noticed it in the world, but I hadn't been able to put a word to it. And it's called like matching energy. Mm-hmm. I remember there was like, there's like, I think there's like drawings in that book, if I remember correctly. I remember there was like, I think I'm thinking of the right book. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, And it talked about like matching. Think of like going into a restaurant and if you're like talking to like the maitre d' and asking for a table, if the energy of the restaurant is like a quiet, like fancy French restaurant and you walk in like high energy, the maitre d' is like, whoa, 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 like Mm -hmm. calm down. But if you walk into like let's say like a rowdy bar and you walk in really like meekly and quietly and ask for a table, the you know the host is like, "Oh, what are you talking?" You know, you sort of mm-hmm. have to like uh, before you can raise or lower the energy of a group, you have to come in matching it. Yep. Um, and again, it's not like you're completely abandoning who you are, but you're just being conscious of what you're walking into. No, there's, there's, like that, that there's that psychology of, of it's almost like mirroring in psychology. It actually helps people bond together when mm-hmm. you feel like you're starting on a common plane. Right. So if it's an 8 a.m. thing, if I'm the first person they've heard all day and they probably aren't even like they're, they're, they just poured their coffee and sat down. You start off, sl- you like bring them in for mm-hmm. like five minutes. You know, you bring them in. Um, but the event I just did in Chicago, I was the last speaker at the end of like a long day of content that they had. Uh, so they were tired. So I actually needed to, uh, I, I matched them for like 10, 30 seconds. And then I just picked them up and they came with me. Roundhouse kick in the face. Drop the hammer, dude. <laughs> I, but, but they like came, it was like a slow, it was a slow escalation over the course of a few minutes. But right. they like came with me. Whereas in the morning... You really want to gradually bring them in. Yeah. But if they need that kick up, they actually, they sense that that was what I was doing and they were in. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is yet another time you're adapting and noticing something. Even though it's a little bit premeditated, you're noticing immediately what's happening in the room. You have to listen, man. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm not, I'm not a pro. I'm not. No, I'm, but the thing is, I'm is not like, natural. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting like from, you know, the mountaintop preaching that I figured it out. 
But I am, you know, one of my best friends, his name is NQ. He's one of the greatest, you know, poets in America right now. And he, him and I have this thing that we always say, he says, and I agree with, but I say, we always say, you know, I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. And I love that because first of all, it gives you a lot of permission to fuck up and your work in progress, but also like if you're not a work in progress, you can just not listen and go ahead and do your thing. Your mm-hmm. fuck you art, right? Mm-hmm. And then just be pissed at the world because they're not responding. If you're a work in progress, it sort of requires you to listen. Mm-hmm. And dude, I'm a work in progress, not just in my career, in my life, and definitely in my personal life, and my family life, and my friends' relationships. Um, You've got so many pauses in I, your life, which is interesting. But you, I feel like you want to do something. You're oh, ready no. to go. I, I, do, I had a question. Oh, you go you go well i mean it's just there's so many you <laughs> all those things are so many it feels if i were, i'm trying to put myself in the space of you right and you're just all those things you said are places that are important i can feel the importance of them to you they're so valid they're so real they're so good and then you get to like work on them and then peace and then have to work on them in peace and peace and pe- you know what i'm saying like your life is in a in a really rad blessed way everybody you know looks up to people who get to do what you get to do but there's also that flip-flop reality you know it's like jim carrey i wish everybody could get famous so that they could see that it doesn't make them uh, happy the oh man remember and it's like and i'd actually say the thing that i like about you is that you acknowledge that you need to work on the things that will make you happy and i think that was actually talked about a bit in our previous podcast and here we are doing it again but i'm like i picture in a good way, the weight you carry for all of the people who talk to you every single day. And I can only imagine that subconsciously that is like a lot more than people might empathize with you over. So you go to book tours, you hear some shit from like no less than 50 people afterwards. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm trying to, I don't know how many are sitting there, but that is a lot for one. And it's super badass that you do that. And the other side of that is I'm like, I empathize because somebody who cares about people who's walked through some shit is going to literally carry that somewhere in their subconscious and think about these people and those stories. And like, it's going to be there. Yeah. And something I'm trying to do is not carry the weight after the interaction, which is so healthy and probably really it's hard. Something I'm, it's something I'm working on. And yeah. again, not just forget about it, even work wise, even family wise. Totally. Like that. That's a huge thing that I'm working on. Um, it's not carrying other people's problems, you yeah. know, not filling their rocks in my backpack. Yeah. At the same time, you can be completely present in the moment or, or try the best you can and be there and care about them and listen. Um, and then not take that weight with you. Yeah. I feel like something pr- I'm working on though. That's like a really prime person to talk to, I feel like, is someone in the medical profession. Well, you that's know, what I was thinking. It was my mom. You have doctors or surgeons or, you know, you're dealing with people all the time who are having these crushing, yeah. like, debilitating things with their health, and you have to serve them in that moment. Have you ever been with a doctor that just has that wall up? Yes. yes. Where they're like, you have, like, two weeks to live, but they, 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 they just have that wall No one's wall ever told up. me that yet, well, but yeah. yeah. But, well, no, I yeah. get you, though, yeah. Mm. You just feel that wall. Like, they just – and look, I probably – I can empathize if they have to do that like every hour. Right. They, that might be their you know mechanism to survive. Yeah, I could never do it. I yeah, I just picture and I would have a hard time too. My mom worked in radiation oncology, and so same wow. same similar wow. stuff though, right? And she would 
she would try her best to come home and not be stressed about that stuff. But, you know, you could feel it in her and see it, especially because she was a personal person who cared. Right. So there's no way to get around bonding with some people. Um, I just admire that in you and being able to hear that because you're honestly a little bit of a therapist for a ton of people through your book. <laughs> They're a therapist for me too, so it's all good. Yeah, it's a double whammy. <laughs> it's just, yeah, but you, you're the one person, and they're the thousands of people. And so I think that's really interesting that you get to be that person, and you probably get to hear so many stories about how your book has positively impacted people. Does it feel weird though when people ask you for advice for some of the things that I assume there's no way you can know everything, right? Do people ask you for advice that you just feel so underqualified to yeah and i tell them and is that what you say yeah, it's like someone asked me like, something that me. i don't know the answer like um you know let me try to think of an example like uh someone in china someone asked me something like forget about even personal they asked me like something about like uh investing you know high amounts of capital and i said you know i i don't do that day to day i can I'll, I'll literally start with just, you know, I don't do that day to day. That's not that's not my purview. Um, what I can tell you is I had this experience once, and then I can go into that. Mm. And then they can take whatever they want from it. Sure. And that way you're all, you're sort of like you're you're giving them the honest context, and they can take what they want from that, and they can not take what they don't want from that. Right. And you're I'm not. I, I I just I'm not about prescriptive advice. Yeah. I'm not about prescriptive advice. I'm like, this is what worked for me. This is my, this is what worked for Bill Gates. This is what worked for Buffett. Mm -hmm. Take what you take, what works for you. Because if you're just taking what worked for someone else and putting it into your own life, because I did this, it doesn't work the same. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim Ferriss had different, sets of circumstances than you so if you just copy paste what he did it doesn't work mm. I, like, I that, tried that doesn't chapter work. in your book when it's like you can't out amazon amazon yeah do you know what's so funny tell me i was gonna cut that chapter during really the process no way thank god no, why do that. that's so good what why were you gonna cut that i do you know what's so funny i was gonna cut that one i was gonna cut sugar Ray leonard oh no i was gonna cut oh god i feel bad like saying that out but not because of sugar Ray, because it wasn't well written enough mm. and what we decided was Instead of cutting it, identify why I want to cut it and address that. Mm. And it's like, what's so funny is it's like the top, even Chi Lu, we were contemplating. But Ooh, it's like, the they're all such great yeah. stories. They're like the great, like, reader feedback. It's the highest on the chapters we were going to cut, which is, to me is like a phenomenon I haven't figured out yet. When you, that's interesting. You, yeah. you were going to, I think I, I just had a solution. Do it. Oh. Hit it. Because we were going to cut it, we went in. It, Forced them to be way better than even the average ah. good chapters. Mm. So totally. I actually think if we didn't fix them and we just left them in, they wouldn't have had the feedback. Got it. We went in and made the Chilu, Sugar Ray, and Amazon chapters way better during during the editing process. I didn't like, let's say, the Jessica Alba chapter. Right. I wrote it and it was it was really I good. I mean, that's good from the get-go. Yeah, it was yeah, really good. The Quincy Jones chapter was really good. So during the final edits, I didn't have to go into Quincy and rework it completely. I had to do that for Sugar Ray, Chi, and Amazon. When you're working with your editor, you're working with Carl Boosman, right? Was he? Cal. 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 Sorry, oh, I said Carl. Carl. <laughs> Hot Carl. Take Sorry. away an R and you're there, man. Sorry, Sorry Cal. 
I don't know you that yeah, well. Yeah, he's never said that before. I was real. What's up, Carl? <laughs> We've even talked about Cal. Cal. Hey, Carl. So he was, he helped you edit the book, right? Or he was an inspiration in editing? You talk about he, that a little uh, bit? Yeah, he wasn't like my formal editor. You know, I had my formal editor at the publishing house. Cal was like my mentor, one of my closest friends who taught me how to write and helped Got you. Um, teach me how to write and definitely helped edit probably more than anyone else. What's that process like submitting work and have people coming back and tell you that this isn't so hot? With, with Cal, it was never like submitting. Um, with my editor at the publishing house, it was yeah. like, here's, you know, the first half of the book. Uh, with Cal, it was, here's the start of the chapter. What do you think? He's like, ah, no. Did you get I, emotionally attached to some of the writing and not want to change it? Or were you kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he would call me a fucking idiot. That's like, good. That's great. He wouldn't say like that. He would be more nuanced, but he would be like, <laughs> actually he would say it in a, the most confusing terms. He's like, the words are underwater. I to bring them above water. <laughs> and then I'm like 20 years old. <laughs> like, what does that even mean, dude? I'm like, oh, God, I took one English class in college. Like, I didn't make it this far. You got his voice working, too. I listened to some of his podcasts. He's got that real it's, interesting yeah, voice. Alex, it's, uh, it's a little Words underwater. underwater. <laughs> bring Yo, it above water. Can you give me an example of how you bring it up? Oh, my God. What's so funny, though, is now I know what it means. But right. in the beginning, I didn't know what it meant. And, like, he would also be like, there's no grip. Go get a grip on it and come back. I was like, what? I fucking love that. It's almost like that Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi, oh wax on, wax it's off like situation. In the, in the moment, it's like the most agonizing kind of feedback. But Sand in hindsight, the it's the smartest feedback ever. Because it forces you to figure to out what's learn. wrong and to yes. learn a little yes. bit more. That's what? like true coaching. You wrote something on your on your Instagram. You made a post that was something along the lines of, I'm not... I think business is for people with thick skin. That's not me. I feel a little bit out of my element here. What prompts some of those sharing moments and, and what's hitting you so hard that's making it hard to almost hard to process things like that? Mm, Instagram has been interesting for me, you know, because on the one hand, I like really admire like authors like JK Rowling who have just like blown up beyond comprehension like don't even need instagram to post on instagram which right. is like that sounds nice you know that's big, to me yeah. instagram is a way to connect with people um and you know obviously the third door has done well but at the same time you know i wanted to keep doing well so instagram has been awesome to be able to connect with people and seeing you know readers react and my favorite thing is whenever every now like when the one year anniversary of the book happened i like wrote a post and there was like hundreds of response like I would screenshot those and like some of them made me cry. So that's my favorite thing about Instagram. Mm -hmm. My not so favorite thing is like posting every day, like not my vibe. I mean, I guess when you say something <clears throat> to the effect of businesses for people with thick skin, that's what people say. I don't have thick skin. What are some of the things that lead to you posting? That? Yeah. Like, what yeah. are some of those I'll, triggers? They, if they you start will. as like, they start as like that post in part. I can tell you exactly where that came yeah. from. So I'm going through some hard shit, you know, work wise. And that thought just came to me. I was like in the car and I just really thought about it. And then the next day I thought about it more. And then I was like, oh man, I got to journal this. So I almost like get it out of my head to process it. Um, and then, yeah, it just journaled it. And then 
it became, you know, hence why I don't post every day. Cause like this process <laughs> isn't conducive to posting. I then I would say maybe 10% of the stuff that like are in my head that I care about. And I journal, I'm like, Oh, this is like, this is the thing. I journal about a lot of very personal stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to post something that I think might hurt someone. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't care if I like the person, don't like the person. I'm just not, I'm not in that business. Yeah. Um, so that takes away like, you know, 70% of the things I journal about. <laughs> That's what journaling's for, dude. I love that. That's real. Uh, that was an accidental confession, nah, but like, for sure. I think that's real. Uh, no, I mean, so but good. Like, by hurt, I don't mean like I'm writing like, fuck that no. person. But also like sometimes I'm like, oh, that thing they said was, didn't feel good. And like me talking about that publicly would might bring them a lot of shit. For sure. So like it's a private thing that I'm not. You can work through stuff and love people and still like have pretty hardcore thoughts about them that go away through the processing method. Yes, right. Agreed. So agreed. it's there's absolutely that's good. You agree. Everybody should be doing. So that's shit. like, you know, 70 percent of my journals like don't even make that cut. Yeah. Um, and then the next question is like. Am I sharing this? I remind myself Instagram isn't my journal. Sometimes I want it to be because I want to feel seen. You know, I want to write something and then have people validate and say, I feel you. I'm here. So I remind myself it's not my journal. I ask myself, is this going to help the people who read it? And it doesn't even have to be like, yes, it's going to help everyone. But like, will it help at least some people who are reading this? That's a question. And then also I'll be super straight up like. I have to remind myself Instagram is not the Alex show. It for me, it is the third door show. Uh-huh. That's like my final filter, which is like, that might be because Alex has a lot of different facets of my life. You know, I have a personal life. I have a family life. I have it. You know, I want to post a photo of like, a great, you know, piece of sushi that I just, or whatever, like, ah, yes. oh, look at this epic latte art, like, because I like latte, whatever, whatever my thing is, like, I love Frisbee, like, I want to post a photo of me playing Frisbee, because I love Frisbee, but it's like, uh, I want to be thoughtful, too, of, like, uh, does this help, does this help the third door's narrative? Gotcha. Um, that would be hard, I hear you. Business, and, thick skin, that. So, like, so that focus. that one, like, went through the three filters, I guess. Yeah. And I guess, it, again, I'm not sitting there with, like, a fucking criteria. But, like, I would say subconsciously those are the things I might ask myself before posting something. Hence why I post, you know, what I do post I care about. But, like, I'll post every few days as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, you know, some people might post, like, three times a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just ta- it, honestly, it sounds like it takes a lot more of a thought process. You just can't be sometimes as uh, as free flowing and easy with that shit. And, yeah, and, and like that- going back to my friend in Q, I talked to right. him as a poet. Me and him talk about this a lot because me and him both love our craft, like love love our craft. Um, and we talk about Instagram. In theory, isn't designed for a place who people are obsessed with their craft. It's a place for content, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily the same thing. So Inky's doing much better at just like abandoning ego and just like posting something every day and just like seeing how it, you know, resonates with people. I'm still like a little, I wouldn't say stuck, but I'm just in the stage of like really caring and putting thought into what I'm posting. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the world tour even. Right. I wasn't like I would spend a whole week in China and I wasn't posting every day. What I would do is like I would just take photos on my phone. Cause I also also don't I don't stories. I also don't want to ruin my moment. Yeah, I think if that's I'm cool like of you. at an amazing like 
book launch talk in China. Like I don't want to be s- storing it in the moment. I want to. I might take a photo and then wait or wait till my I'm in my hotel room. I like that you compiled them at the end of the day. I yeah. thought it was sick. I follow along. Did you click, see them? Click, like, yeah, yeah. dude, the world tour and stuff like, was fun. Yeah, but yeah. I think that's tight. And I actually really admire that you would allow yourself to be in the moment and not just like go straight to look. Yeah, man, because I want to have fun too. You need to. <laughs> <laughs> Which can I can we switch to a thing? Well, not switch. This has been it's been like a sort of serious moment, but I do want to hear about something we briefly talked about downstairs before this podcast. You and Elliot did this giveaway and took people to Costa Rica, and then same thing. Nobody knows what the fuck happened in the forest because you guys enjoyed the moment. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm the saying? The way you said that sounds <laughs> super creepy. We had wild and crazy sex parties in the forest. Okay, no, <laughs> well, definitely not. Definitely, there's not, there's, definitely looked, not. Definitely not. You know what I'm saying? You guys did this really cool thing. I saw the <laughs> Jared. Nobody knows what happened in the forest. Well, okay. So, well, I follow Elliot as well, and he was just <laughs> like, amazing. I didn't do anything in there. And then, so it seemed like it was awesome. I just want to hear about it. You know, like you brought these people from all over. It was cool. Yeah, to give people context. Yeah, let's do this. Um, you know, the third door starts when I'm 18 years old. I go on this quest to, you know, track down the world's most successful people. And along the way on the journey, I meet a guy mm-hmm. named Elliot Bisno, who sort of becomes like the Yoda figure in the book mm-hmm. and in my life. And Elliot becomes one of the main characters of the book um, and, you know, one of my closest friends in life, you know. And since the books come out, it's been so awesome to see. Not only, you know, am I very grateful to receive a lot of really positive feedback from readers. He gets flooded Mm. with cold messages, emails, Instagram DMs. It makes me happy because to me, that's almost like the the ultimate testament of the book. Mm -hmm. That like he's getting that kind of extreme positive feedback. It's not just the author. It's even the people in the book, you mm-hmm. know? Um, the thing about Elliot, though, I'm very introverted. Like, I like to go home and, like, recharge or read a book or, like, watch Netflix or whatever. Elliot just, like, loves people, you know, just loves. Like, he's like, a, you know, a puppy. He's like, oh, you know, he goes, like, he literally, like, goes up to people on the street. He's like, hey, you want to go play tennis? Like, he's, like, so energetic, you know? <laughs> Um, and he's so generous. He's like, he'll see someone and he's like, he'll just, man, he's like, he does the most incredible things for complete strangers. It's like blows my mind. Um, and he has like 50 ideas a day. Like he's just that kind of energy. And I love spending time with him cause that's, it's infectious. And he just had this idea. It's like, Oh my God. Like, cause me and Elliot, were going to Costa Rica. Elliot is the CEO of an organization called summit series, which mm-hmm. is one of the biggest event, uh, business events in America um, and you know their speakers are like you know Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and stuff like that and um, they were doing so sometimes they do these big events with like thousands of people and you know cruise ships or in downtown LA but they also do small events of like 40 people well they'll take them on like excursions like to Kenya or to Costa Rica and me and Ali were going on the Costa Rica trip and at the last minute like two or three weeks before the Costa Rica trip, we we're getting super excited. And this is, you know, right out, you know, this is after the launch of the third door and mm-hmm. Elliot's like, Oh man, like what if we just like bring like one of the, like one Elliot gets maybe like 10, you know, cold emails a day, like 10 DMS a day. He's like, what if we just like bring like 
So, you know, over the course of a month, that's like hundreds of people every month, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's like, what if we just bring like one of these people, just like surprise them and just like give them a free trip to Costa Rica? And I was like, oh my God, like, dude, that would change someone's life. You know, Elliot changed my life. So I know how much that will change someone's life. I was like, dude, that would be amazing. Let's do it. I'm just like drowning right now. Like, I'm like, I'm, you know, I got like five keynotes. I don't know if he's like, all right, I'll, I'll do it. Just like you post on your account. I'll post on my account and we'll just see what happens. We had no idea what happened. Dude, a thousand so people applied like within like hours or days. A yeah. thousand people applied. And it's not like we like sent it out to our email. No, we literally just made one Instagram post. Right. Because you came back pretty quick and you're like, actually, we're going to take. And you like. And then all credit goes to Elliot. He, like, he has such a big heart. He couldn't narrow it down. So he picked five people. Yeah. Um, and the five people we chose were so dope. There was like one woman who's like saving the planet with like her environmental stuff. Another woman who's like a photojournalist, like going to the Amazon jungle. Another one was this guy who's like 27 years old who teaches uh, a third grade class in Hawaii. Um, and he, it's just like the most, and what was amazing about the experience, which was like such a great learning experience, which Elliot already knew this lesson, but it was new to me. Those five people made the entire trip so much better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's like such a reminder. Like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, like humanizing Bill Gates. Yeah. Also reminding yourself like the magic that like someone, you know, someone that you're just like talking on DM on Instagram is not just a person you're talking. That's a magical person with like crazy inspiring life stories. Mm -hmm. If you just meet up in real life. Um, and they like elevated the trip and like they're dope people that I'm still like count as friends now. Yeah. At the beginning of this conversation, I was thinking about that with you and Bill Gates. And I was like, I wonder if there's some of that like childlike naivety and enthusiasm. And, and I'm not saying that these people have that, but the same thing where it's like you potentially were feeding other people in ways that you may not have known. Right. That that thing that you're talking about right now. And then here these other people are in our lives that it's like, where do, where do we all, as we continue into business and the people who like work with us and around us, like take the time to recognize, like, where are those people that we're able to kind of continue to get that, like that new positive, like, and I call it naivety in that it's like sky's the limit. Dreams are there. No jaded bullshit. Like those people are so key to our continued success and we never know where they're going to be unless we take crazy opportunities. Like you just said, you said it so clearly they brought, they came to this trip and you're like, yeah, it's going to be cool. And then it's like, Oh, y'all made the trip. I just, I want to make sure I'm just saying this for me too, but for anybody out there who's listening, like pay attention to those people that you start feeling that from because they're kind of those people that, there's a mutual positive benefit for the world if you like stick around and you like give them the energy and also like allow them maybe the opportunity to try some shit with you. I think that stuff is really magical. And I think it's really easy as people become more successful and I'm not talking about you, but to just forget that. And I wonder, I just think it'd be really cool to hear from the people who maybe when you were young, who might've actually been inspired by you and your enthusiasm and your care for this thing. Well, it's, it's talked about in the book. Like yeah, you talk people about do talk about in the book. Cause mentorship's a two way street, right? right? It's never just the mentor feeding the mentee. Like the mentee has something that they're providing, whether it's the 
remind the mentor about themselves when they were younger or right. they see something really inspiring or they bring a certain amount of energy to their to their life and i think that's the yeah. larry king chapter is a good example right, right. Exactly. that's perfect and for I'm that ch- i'm chasing larry king through a grocery store you know pretty much like the most preposterous <laughs> like outside his window in his car right like the last most sec- preposterous yeah. story by far in the book in my opinion and then at the end you know i end up going to breakfast with him over 50 times over yeah. the years um so i think that's a yeah that's a no example. totally it's just i think it's such a powerful thing that people they might just skip over because the grandiose of everything else is so well, what e- the world looks for. Our culture looks for. It's easy to get stuck, too. I mean, from what I've seen, the older that you become, the more things you have that you have to do. And yep. the less things that you're likely to do just because you're super passionate about them or think they might be really, really fun. Like, I got to pay the bills. I got to do this for the business. I got to do that. And you get stuck in these whirlpools of just the same. I, try, I actively try really hard to get myself out. That's great. That's stuff. awesome. Yeah. yeah and I, for me, what like, I'm still like relatively young, but like I, I fall into it's that. An active I'll, pull. I fall into that yeah. a lot. And I try to pull myself out and like new blood helps me get out of that. Like, like people mm, who are yeah. young, full of energy. And like you said, they think anything's possible. They're like, you're worried about that. Why? Let's just fucking do this. And I'm like, <laughs> I never <laughs> thought about that. Let's do it. Like, that's like some shit I would have said when I was like 18. Yeah, Let's fucking yeah, do it, awesome. dude. And I think you're right on that, Jared. It's, it's super valuable. And, just stay connected to the streets. You know what I'm saying? Can we ask you a couple <laughs> of uh, listener questions? Oh, sh- oh yeah. See what All happens. Right. Yeah, let's do it. Because the first, the first round interview was amazing, not only from our conversation, but the feedback from people online was so amazing. Oh, so glad. I'm so glad for that. Like, so, uh, th- yeah, we got There's like a few questions that came in I asked earlier. Come on, the, the internet. No? Pick right. some of those heaters. I remember one, uh, one of the our friends one, asked yeah. if you were starting the journey that you started in college that third door journey if you were starting that over at say age 30 what would you do differently like do the journey but as a 30 year old right yeah like what if you started oh, at God. 30 oh it's a completely or different if you journey just had then, that yeah. if you had that spark as first a, of all i haven't i'm not 30 yet so i don't know i don't <laughs> that's what i was thought when she said that <laughs> i was like, like oh, okay let's there. say current okay, day but i can okay i get it so your friend is 30 who asked this probably older she's older but yeah Okay, cool. So I guess she's she's almost asking from her. She's asking from her. Shout out to Emily Olson. Someone who's she's further, claiming. Someone who's further is. along in their life, let's say they're having this epiphany where they feel stuck. You know, just how you felt stuck in yeah, yeah. in college. Maybe she doesn't feel stuck. Maybe we shouldn't say her name because that would be weird. No, she didn't say she feels stuck. She's oh, okay, how, cool. She's all, Great. how would Alex approach this project at the age of closer to 30 instead of college age? I'll tell you what worked when I was 18, and I think it'll work again 30, but you have to do it differently for you, which is... The reason it worked for me when I was 18 is I didn't hide what I was going through in life. And I I did it because I didn't have a choice. I wasn't I very quickly realized I'm not Barbara Walters. I tried maybe like for the first couple of weeks to like try to like create fancy letter but it like after I'm like ah this is not going to work, you know? It's not going to work. So I sort of just had to like embrace the stage I'm in and sort of accept, you know, most people don't, even though Bill Gates doesn't do interviews with 18 year olds and neither does almost any other, you know, iconic leader. I'm just going to really be me anyways and just see if they'll make an exception. I think if you're 30 and trying to do a third door type journey, it doesn't matter, you know, who you're trying to talk to, but you're, let's say you're going on this quest. Um, 
really embrace the reason why you're doing this, the stage you're in, the reason why. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of someone uh, who I heard recently. Someone, uh, you know, I won't say who, but a reader of the book sent me an email saying that they're, you know, in their 30s and uh, went through really, you know, horrific sexual abuse early in their life. And they're going to go, you know, work on a project to bring light to that. Um, and my biggest thing is like, don't hide your humanity. Mm. Your story is the story of this. Um, so to me, you know, with the third door, like, and it took a while to realize this. In the beginning, I just did it out of necessity. But it took a while to realize me being an 18-year-old that had no resources, no connections, no understanding of how the world worked, is what makes the third door the third door. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why I said if I'm 30, it's a complete – so if I'm 30, it depends when I'm – let's say I do another journey. I will do another journey. You know, whatever the, next, whatever the next thing is for me is going to be the 30-year-old third door. And that whole – whatever that journey is is going to be – because now I know – Deeply rooted in exactly what I'm going through at that time in my life. Um, and not like what I want people to think of. No, but like what I'm actually going through. Because the weird thing is, man, it doesn't matter like if you're in America, if you're in China, if you're in Italy. We're human beings. and We go through the same shit. We have the same hopes. We have the same fears. And if you're being super real about what you're going through not only does that connect with other people if you can help liberate yourself just that example can help liberate others and i think that's the magic of the third door i think that's the magic of any good art Mm -hmm. which is when you heal yourself when you learn when you transform and if you can communicate that Clearly, entertainingly, people will take that in and it will help them on their journey to heal themselves and to transform themselves if they're ready for that journey as well. That's good visionary thinking right there, son. That is like how you, I think that's how you bring people along on a vision. When I just think about our company and even in that, it's like, how can you show people that hard work and tenacity and the struggle of becoming like, of just how it's not easy to do like our, our mission is big. Like we're at our company with three stores, but I mean, uh, the vision of our company is to change the way the world does business. That's not a small statement. And we have a lot of, we have a lot of vision and we have some clarity in that. But the next level is how do we connect and show people that like through our growth and the hard work, how if they step into it and it's not as simple as maybe how it looks because we look so professional at what we do, not literally, obviously look at us. It's not as easy as it looks. I mean, yeah, I mean, the trudging through the mud and is what makes it interesting, right? Like, it's like if you interviewed all these people, big deal. So is everybody else. You know, like how many people have interviewed Bill Gates? Like, there's Bill Gates interviews out there. There's interviews with all these people, but it's like, it's so. It. I mean, I'm just saying what you already said, but it's so interesting the way it came about for you, and it's like this yeah. epic journey and the thought process of how you got there and what it ended up meaning to you. And I, I'm speaking for you and I don't want to do this, but when I read the book, I'm like, 
these interviews and the journey that it took ended up meaning so much more to you than you ever thought they were going to going to mm-hmm. in the first place. It's like a completely right? different transformative event. I thought event. they would mean a lot and they meant even more. Yeah. Right. And but that's the like power next, for people. Next level. And I think that's one thing that we could do better is tell that story with a little, uh, I don't know, uh, not with less more. eloquently, but yeah. like a, tell more of the story. Yeah. We were talking about that yesterday. It's part of the reason we're down. You're, you're helping us process in this area yeah, is to thank you for being part of our, yeah. our offsite. Let's hit them with just because uh, we I'm going to hit you with one, one more just because we've had a, we've, we've been, been here for hard, a yeah. good long our, time. Our final the final question. And this is, this is Are you back on the prices right now? You're going you're <laughs> to hit this one out of the park. <laughs> one dollar, Bob. One. Or it's not Bob. Drew. Drew. Bob, Bob Carey. Right? Is it R.I.P. Bob? Anyway. Okay, so this one's a little more ethereal, but it's what are the questions you would ask yourself along the way to either know that you are keeping the momentum up or to help you with that momentum in your journey, like to finish it and beyond. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's an ethereal question. but That's that, great. That That's a great Shelley. question. I like that because um, like, it's practical. Yeah, there's like I metrics like to it, right? Um, and I'll try to answer this in a way that is helpful for anyone on any journey sort of industry agnostic baller i call this did we do the 30-day challenge in the first podcast no but chris is finishing a 30-day challenge with matt develop i did the 30-day challenge the journaling one yeah like yes yes can i I hit that with that i did that channel yeah we we talked about it briefly but we didn't discuss it at length you should talk about it again okay yeah because this has been so helpful for, you know, thousands of readers of the book and, you know, and also very helpful for me in my personal life and helpful for my friends. And this is for anybody who wants to have a clear understanding of who they are, what their path is, where they're going. doesn't matter what age or stage you are. If you are serious about having some more understanding about these questions this helps more than I can say. And this is how it works. So I call it the 30-day challenge. And the first step is going to a pharmacy, going to like a CVS or a Dwayne Reed and buying like a $1 spiral notebook. And it's super important to me that you buy a brand new one. You know, it's a buck. Like get a brand new one because going back to, you know, I feel like this is our main theme of today's podcast, which is like giving a shit about what you're doing and caring about what you're doing. Your brain knows if you're doing this journaling on like scrap paper versus like a brand. There's something about like, yeah, baby. Yeah. It's like how clean are your mugs before you even pour that espresso in? Right. Like the customer can feel all the touch, you know? Mm -hmm. So go buy your go. Step one. It signifies that you're taking this seriously. Correct. Yeah. Step one. If you actually really give a shit about this, go buy a brand new $1 notebook and get a, you know, a marker and write 30 day challenge on the cover. That's step one. Step two is open your calendar and pick a time, 30 minutes, that you can carve out for the next 30 days in a row. So I don't care if it's you know in the morning, at night, during lunchtime, whenever you can, but it's important that it's a consistent time of the day. 30 minutes every day. And then the third step is to journal on the same three questions every day during that time. And these are the questions. Number one, what excited me today? You know, what excited me today? And again, it's very important. The question is not, you know, what made me happy? What was fun? No. What <laughs> excited me about today? 
That's number one. Number two is what drained me of energy today. And again, it's not, you know, what did my boss do that pissed me off today? It's not, you know, what do I hate about my life? No, it's what drained me of energy today. And then number three is what did I learn about myself today? What did I learn about myself today? And this is what's going to happen. If someone is, you know, excited to do the 30 day challenge, they're going to do the first like five days and back me up on this. If yeah, you went yeah, through this. Yeah, get into this. First five days are like fun. You like, you know, you feel good. It's sort of like going to the gym the first five days. You're like, oh, I'm healthy now. Like, this is great, you know? And then, you know, by day like eight and nine and 11 and 12, you start sort of like hitting this rut and you're like, you don't really see that much results and you don't really see where this is going. By day like 18, you definitely don't see where it's going. By day 22, you're like, this is pointless. And most people sort of fall off. But it's only by day like, 28, 29, 30, that you actually start seeing patterns to the point where you start seeing this like faint little sign pointing you in the right direction. And that's where you get the real value from it. Mm. I can back you up on that. And I think one of the most powerful things about me and having any sort of journal is revisiting that journal. And I think the reason the first few days feel so exciting is if you don't do a ton of journaling, it just feels so refreshing to get these things off your chest and then kind of get them out of your mind and into the real world and see on paper. And that's this little form of built-in therapy. And then it starts to feel like work. You're like, okay, I'm writing this. And you right, day 12 starts getting to work. And yeah. you're, it's even kind of like boring in its own way. You're like, I feel like I'm kind of, I don't know, whatever. And then you finish and then going back and connecting the dots, I did that at um, a similar time where I did, oh, I can't even remember who wrote the book. It's called Your One Word. He's, jeez. Uh, anyway. We can put it in the show notes. I, we'll put it in the show notes. Look in the show notes. It, it, it's the same kind of thing, and, and it's all detecting patterns, revisiting them to figure out what, what gets you hyped. And I love it. I love the 30-day. The I still have my book. It's got 30-day challenge on the front. I love that. And there's, there's nothing else in there, and I... This is a little tangential, but I started logging my my journal. So I have that journal and then I have my what is my usually daily journal, which I sometimes skip, but like month by month so I can rip them off and, and reread them. And I I was so pissed at myself. I was so fucking mad. I, f I looked at one from like a month or two ago just before we came down here. And some of the problems, the things that I was struggling with, we're like the same. And it was like a shot. And I was like, oh, man, I don't think I've actually made the progress that I need to make or I've been focusing on the things that are the most important to me because some of the things that I wrote down that were, were bugging me here are the same things that I wrote down yesterday. And that tells me that my focus is not on point. And that's like the world pulls at you, you know, the world can pull you in a bunch of different directions between what you think you need to do in business, between social pressure, all these different time commitments. It's really easy to ignore what you have to do, which is why it's nice to do something like this. I did mine at 7 p.m. 7 to 7.30 was my writing time. Ooh, baby. That's it. I love 30 it. Thank you, thanks, No, thanks, thanks for, coming. for coming back. We just went into it. Round Killed two, it. man. I love this. Th so oh, can I ask you one more question? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> You're you're traveling all over the world. You're 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 talking to all these people. You're on stage doing these keynotes. You're on every. What made you call us back to do this podcast? First of all, the first one was really fun. Thank you. Um, 
I really appreciated how much you guys cared about the book. Uh, it came through, um, came through with the audience too. You know, I feel like people who listen to this podcast for some reason really resonated with the third door and made me super happy. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm in a, you know, with the, you know, the world tour right now, I just, I want to keep the fire keeps going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to keep feeding it cause it's, it's beautiful, man. So it was a big honor that you guys, uh, you know, had me back, man. Thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. When I saw it come through, I was like, Oh, we're going to do it again. It's going to be really, really fun. And I, I just want to thank you because I've been nice. I, I I look up to you, and well, when I see you and what you're doing, I'm like, he could be on anyone's podcast he wants. You know, you could be talking to anybody. So just like how people come to your show and see you, like, thank you for spending time with us. Yeah, it means, it means a lot for man. real. I really yes. for real. It. We're thank you. We're stoked. And if you don't have the book already, get the book, people. You must be tripping. Thank you. Yeah, thanks thank for you making guys it. So much. And thanks for being here. Peace. Party time. I walked into Quincy Jones' house and he looked at me and said, Bob Carey. That's good visionary thinking right there, son.